Creepy pasta. Spooks from the LGBT community. How's it going, everybody? I am Quirpy Tasha. And I'm Rosalind Savile. And you are listening to the Quirpy Pasta Show. Yay! So we've made it. We've put our pilot series out. The six episodes we wanted to get out get out by the end of the year. So what we're doing now with the Query Pasta show is something we are wanting to do maybe monthly, um, where we can go back and talk about the stories we have narrated. We can also use this time to bring on guests and talk about queerness and horror fiction and just speak to you peeps as well. So, Rosalind, how do you think it's going so far? Yeah, it's going well. How are you? I'm doing well. <laughs> Uh, we've had a busy day today, uh, listening to every episode we've produced so far. Oh, dear. <laughs> I know, it's been a ride. It's great listening to your own voice. Oh, totally, yeah. But I think we can both agree that the other one is the better narrator. It's, if by you, you mean you. It's definitely you. You, you so are correct. I'm glad we're yes. agreed on that. I do mean <laughs> you. <laughs> um, yeah, it's um, it's a great collection of stories. I think every single one of them we got from the No Sleep subreddit, and oh, it's just such a great community. Well, I mean, you say we, but full disclosure here, you did a lot of the footwork finding the stories. Well, it's interesting how we found the stories, actually. On No Sleep and various other creepypasta subreddits, I made some posts saying, hey, do you know any stories with LGBTQ representation we would be able to narrate? Um... Yeah, as you would expect, there was mixed response from some of the Creepypasta groups. Uh, but the response was, uh, on the whole, very good. And with No Sleep, there's never been any problems there. In fact, I think it was Fifth Dimension Freak. Um, they were one of the authors who offered their story that way. I think the first few stories we found, um, the first was Erasure. Then it was Queer. Um, you also had a look for some stories, and you did find one that you narrated, didn't you? Yeah, but unfortunately we couldn't release it because I could not get in touch with the author at all. Sad. Yeah. I really wanted to do that one as well. That was, um, I quite liked that one. Yeah. I can, I, can we shout out a recommendation for it, maybe? Absolutely. Yeah, so it's called, um, you know what? I, actually... <laughs> I believe in the one, wasn't it? Yes, that's it. It's called I Believe in the One by I Can't Breathe Anymore Zero. And yeah, I quite enjoyed that story. Um, I really wish that we could have done a proper narration of it and released it. It's just a shame we couldn't get in touch with the author about it. I think it was gay representation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it centres around um, a gay male couple. And... Yeah, I don't really want to ruin the story for anyone, but I quite like the way it goes. Uh, We're definitely going to be going through spoilers on all of the stories we have narrated so far. So um, if you haven't listened to any of our narrations yet, I would recommend to go back and listen to those stories first. Although, if you want to be a rebel and listen to this anyway, and then go back and listen to them, then, you know, fair play to you. <laughs> I, I respect that. Uh, yeah, so the first story we narrated was called The Skeletal Grin. Who's the... Who's the author for that one? I can't remember. Oh, I don't know. Somebody I've never Some heard of. obscure um... nobody. Oh, it was it was me, wasn't it? <laughs> That's right. Um, Skeletal Grin. That was the first story we released anyway. Uh, that wasn't the first story I narrated. Actually, the um, I actually narrated another story I wrote called I Caught a Hair, which we haven't released yet. 
Uh, we might release it further down the line. It is recorded anyway. I really like. <clears throat> excuse me. I really liked. I caught hair. I liked it too. It's my kind of humor in it. Uh, the skeletal grin. I wanted to have one. Uh, I want to have one there because if I'm going to use one of my own stories, I want it to be one with the strongest LGBT representation. Of course, Skeletal Grin has a lesbian protagonist. It's one of my favourite stories I've written, that and I Caught a Hair. Uh, I don't think I've put I Caught a Hair on the internet, so I should probably post it at some point. I concur. Absolutely. So before we move on, here's a clip. But death remained. I stopped laughing and, after a moment, I saw the first movement from the apparition. Slowly, so slowly it was almost imperceptible. His skull began to turn. This puzzled and fascinated me as I watched. For several minutes, that intriguing skull rotates 90 degrees towards the wall on my right. And again his posture froze. How did you find, comparative to the other stories that we've done, um, I imagine this is a bit different considering you're narrating something you yourself have written, so I would imagine you know like the kind of the correct sort of cadence to put on things, the, the emphasis, the yeah, the pacing of it. It's great narrators narrating uh, stories they've written themselves. When you're writing a story, you're often writing it in your own voice. So it is really easy to narrate. You know exactly how each line is supposed to be read. Uh, for other authors' work, you really need to go deep into the story and think carefully about who this character is and how do they sound, uh, how they actually saying each line. The skeletal grin was the story I narrated after I caught a hair. So the first two stories I narrated were stories I wrote myself, which gave me an easier time starting out, I think. Yeah, it's easier with some stories than others as well, because some are more descriptive about the way the um, the speech is done than others. Um, but yeah, that was one of your first narrations, wasn't it? So looking back now after doing a few and <laughs> finishing the pilot series, do you think there's anything different you would do? I think... Um... I think I could probably do better on the production because there's there's a lot of voice acting which is quite loud, like shouting like, no, no. And it's harder to shout in a scared or angry way into a microphone when you're just doing a normal narration because you'll peak your levels. Um, I don't think I really had the skill back then to really balance out all the levels or even like move the mic away so I can shout it a loud amplitude so so it sounds like I'm shouting but not blowing out the listeners eardrums uh so I think I've learned I could do a lot more on production I think I would have narrated it the same way I really liked your narration of it like the way you conveyed the the main characters um I don't think the name of the main characters I've mentioned actually was it no I don't think I named the main character the yeah. children and wife were named but when the main character is um, experiencing unease, fear, panic, or even curiosity, that does come through very well in your voice, I personally think. Oh, thank you. Uh, I tried to anyway. I mean, there's um, 
there's a lot of subtlety in this story. Like the whole metaphor with the butterflies. She's in a room. Well, she's terrified of death and she's surrounded by walls which are literally covered floor to ceiling with the bodies of dead butterflies. So she's in this cage of death which she's created for herself. And that's kind of um, kind of ironic, that weird juxtaposition of a fear of death at the same yeah. time. Yeah, I feel like I can sort of um, relate to that because it's like, as... As you personally know, I have a quite a fear of spiders. Mm -hmm. I love looking at them, though. I think they're very interesting, and it is almost like a morbid fascination. Yeah, because I'm terrified of them as well. It's something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. I kind of personally also got the impression that it also kind of maybe represented the fragility of life. Um. Yeah. In fact, it's portrayed as the way that. It it begins the way that it sorry, it ends the way that it begins, where she's fascinated by this butterfly on her windowsill, which then dies. She she cherishes this butterfly, this vibrant and youthful thing emanating um vitality. And it just dies. And even though its colours are still there, it's lost all its vibrance then exactly the same thing happens when, of course, she's holding her wife in her arms at the end. So it loops back on itself, straight back to the um, that poem or verse uh, with the, the skeletal grin. I would say skeletal grin is one of my favourites. <laughs> I, I would disagree. Um, I definitely prefer your narrations, um, a couple of your stories. You would say that, though, wouldn't you? Yes. A big... No, no you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of inspired by, well, I used to live in India when I was around 10 to 13. And I remember what life was like back then, like um, Madras. And of course, Madras is now Chennai. Um, and that changed relatively recently. But I think that helps to show that it was in the before times when the story was set the long, long ago. Uh, but the story is really inspired by Jim Henson's The Storyteller. Uh, do you know it's Jim Henson's The Storyteller? Have you watched that? Jim Henson, is that guy who did the Muppets? Yeah, yeah. and Sesame Street. Uh, he also did, oh God, um, The Storyteller, oh, a few other movies. God, why can't, why can't I think of them now? Oh, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Dark Crystal and Labyrinth. Yeah, I love Labyrinth. I surprisingly have never seen Dark Crystal. Really? Yeah. Wow, I absolutely love the series they did on Netflix. It might even be better than the movie. When I heard they were going back to it, of course you think, oh, it's going to ruin it all with CGI. And they did use CGI, but it was really well used. And they still relied mostly on physical puppets and sets, which was really great. Uh, with with <laughs> We're going a little off topic here. Uh, the reason I bring up Jim Henson's Storyteller is that there's one story called The Soldier and Death, and ah, oh, it was just a really great story. Great characters. It was um, it was about a soldier, and I think he does a favor for someone while he's coming home from war, and this person rewards him with, with a sack, which anything he commands will get in the sack. So he just says to anything like, hey, geese, get in my sack. And um, a whole flock of geese will just get in the sack. It's kind of like the bag of holding, you know, from Dungeons and Dragons. 
Oh, without going into the full plot, at one point he orders Death to get into his sack. And the way Death is portrayed in the series, he's a short um, a short man, white, with black robes, and he sits at the foot of people's beds. Then, as they get closer to Death, Death moves closer and closer to the head of the bed. So he finds Death at the head of someone's um, bed, so he commands Death to get in the sack. Then nobody dies anymore. Everyone lives forever, and it was great for a few hundred years, until everyone was bored and tired and just wanting um, death to come, but he never comes. So the man lets death back into the world, uh, but death never returns for him because he's scared he'll be put back in the sack. <laughs> That's brilliant. I mean, nobody wants to be put in a sack with a flock of geese. <laughs> geese, geese are evil. Death versus geese, who would win? <laughs> I had an interesting time actually with that trying to figure out why the Grim Reaper appeared to the main character and I don't know I'm sort of in this two frames of mind whether it's like it could be that the the main character herself is close to death in a mm -hmm. way she's um she's very ill at the time of the story and yeah. um I thought maybe that's how she was able to perceive him. Uh, it could even, I don't know, be a total fever dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I enjoyed that about, sorry, um, I enjoyed that about certain stories, the just leaving it out there in the open. Yeah, it's yeah. not explained at all. And there's no logical explanation for it. It's just, you could just make connections that it was just a fever dream. Um, That's just a fever it could be this connection to butterflies that she has, that her life just that her life is just going out and murdering butterflies and crucifying them on her wall. <laughs> so it could be that connection. Um, but there's also the question about why does death not come back for her? It could be that death is just trolling her and she was on a deathbed and um but she was really cocky to him and he was like, you know, fuck that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. you deal it you deal with it now. So, yeah, that was a skeletal grin. So, next up in this series was Congratulations... Sorry, it's the full name, because I keep... We refer to a lot of the videos with um, truncated names. Um, there is a hidden video on Netflix called Congratulations38.avi is the next one in the series, and this was my first narration that we published. It's also our shortest. It is our shortest. What was it, like six or eight minutes? Um, yeah, it's about five, six minutes. Yeah. I hit the play button. It started with about five seconds of static. Then, a black screen came up with the words, Congratulations, being typed onto it. The words disappeared, and the sound of a high-pitched woman's voice repeating, Ha! started playing. The black screen turned into a shot of a forest with the words Open your eyes being typed onto the screen. Yeah, it was very strange after doing a few different narrations now and then going back and listening to it and my first attempt because I had tried narrating things before but this was the first one where I'd actually done any kind of production. I really liked it and you did a great job on the sound effects and um, the ambience as well and it really took me by surprise, and it was your first time doing anything like this. It, it wasn't just the narration. I thought you did a great job, and you were 
and you were so worried about it and it turned out fantastic and I was very jealous because it was better than mine. Well, Tasha's biases aside, <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I did work quite hard on it at the time. To be honest, I still get very nervous doing them. Um, but I'm quite happy with how I produce the ambience still, I think. I think my only bugbear with it is the way I, I don't know, the spacing in between my lines kind of pops out at me a bit. And also I can definitely tell I've not um, normalised the, well, the loudness. Sure. Yeah. Um, we've learned a lot about production since then. Uh, oh, big thanks and shout out to Marissa Ewing and Nico Vitesse. Um, from Rusty Quill, who gave us a lot of advice and support when we were starting out. Uh, so the spacing in this story, did you edit it at all, or was that as read? That was, oh, it, it was edited, yeah. Um, I have a lot of outtakes when I do it. <laughs> Most of the time in my production is just taking out the outtakes. And then spacing the different sections of audio correctly. Um, and then I think with that one, I did attempt to manually normalize some of the spikes, go through and uh, de-amplify them, as it were. Um, but yeah, that was, I think now I have more of a, more of a rhythm with it. Now, as I'm sort of coming into it and becoming more experienced, I have a way of tracking the beats of it when I do it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah it, it was also an interesting story in terms of its LGBT representation. Um, what do you think about the LGBT representation in this story? It's the least front and centre of all of our stories, the LGBT representation in this, because um, as I understand the main character, Trinity, is non-binary, but this is never actually mentioned in the story. Not once. Yeah. It's really interesting. There's uh, one bit where Trinity is at a sleepover trying to find congratulations 38.avi and they state that they were at a sleepover with girls, like everyone else at the sleepover are girls. And that's really interesting, uh, just that it's not mentioned that they are non-binary, but knowing they are non-binary, we can get more of an idea about the character. Um, are they out? Uh, do they, they, they sound quite young if they're at a sleepover. Um, so maybe maybe they're femme presenting, I don't know. I do think it's alluded to, very much alluded to in that line, as you say, though, um, in terms of when they're going through and trying to find the video, the reference, I, um, none of the girls could get past um, Creeps Out, and then it was my turn. And then, yeah, and as well, then Trinity is not... A, is not exactly a very mask-sounding name. Yeah. And... It's one of the non-binary names, I think. <laughs> one of the non-binary names. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like um, when Elliot Page came out, uh, everybody was thanking him for choosing one of the names. <laughs> Carrying on the trans man tradition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Trinity is one of the names for non-binary people. Along with Sam, Alfie, Aiden, etc. <laughs> yeah, and Kit. I know a lot of Kits. Um, we know quite a bit about the author, actually. Um, some of the authors that we have coming up, they are uh, there's very little information online about them. So 
I'm wondering if I should explore the authors a bit more because uh, we, we really want to highlight LGBT authors as well. I don't know for sure which of these authors are LGBT themselves, but for this author at least we do know. Uh, they describe themselves as a lesbian horror writer from the fifth dimension and uh, they carry on on their Reddit page, describe themselves. Uh, greetings, interdimension <laughs> sorry, greetings, interdimensional travelers. Uh, my name is Bree, and I am the mastermind behind all of the stories on user Fifth Dimension Freak. I've been writing since I was seven, and I've been writing horror since I was eight, but never published it in brackets because it was horrible. I'm a cisgender white lesbian woman, uh, but I'm also pretty snazzy. Anyway, this is my official subreddit. You can find everything on here, from my band stories, to narrations, to art, to anything in between. Below you will find some information about the subreddit, so go give it a look. Going back to the episode, uh, it's kind of a classic creepypasta format. Kind of the uh, the Lost Episode style, you know, like Suicide Mouse? I do not, know. Oh, it's like one of the first big creepypastas. It's about this guy who finds... Um, this old uh, Disney reel, um, this old Disney reel from like the 1950s or 1940s, and it had a Mickey Mouse episode on it. Um, but as you watch it, it gets more and more nightmarish, more horrific. Um, this isn't exactly um, a lost episode, but it's similar in that it's a hidden video on Netflix, so it's a bit like that. Oh, and interesting quippy pasta fact about this video. It lasted about 45 minutes on YouTube before it got deleted. <laughs> yeah, it got taken down pretty quickly. I think we got a warning for that. We did. <laughs> we got our first strike. Uh, so we wanted to put out three episodes straight away. So there would be three episodes for people to listen to. Then this one gets deleted straight away. And YouTube gets all snarky with us about it going against its community standards. We were really sorry for the author as well, since we wanted to get the story out there. Um, though I guess the podcast was still up. So anyway, we, we contested it with YouTube, the strike. We said, hey, there's nothing wrong with this video. What are you doing? And YouTube wrote back to us and just said, nope, the strike will be upheld. We've manually reviewed it, and it definitely goes against our community standards. But they wouldn't say why. So we're like, okay, fuck you. We'll upload it again and just remove um, any mention of Netflix in the title since that was the only thing we could think that would have uh, they would have a problem with. So we uploaded the new video. Then the next morning, the old video was reinstated. Uh, they don't message us or anything about why. It's just back up and our strikes are gone. Um, I think it's all a conspiracy to stop us finding congratulations38.avi. How was it you were supposed to find Congratulations 38? As I recall, it was you started with Boss Baby Back in Business. Hang on, I'm, I'm going to bring up Netflix now. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it might not work in all countries since um, we have different Netflix. Yeah. Okay. Yep, here it is. Boss Baby Back in Business. But I think you go through the recommended thing from that. Um, okay. Yeah. So the next one was Creeped Out. Right. Okay. Yeah, there's Creeped Out. Weird, yeah. it's in Boss Baby Back and in Business. then Black Mirror. Okay. Black Mirror. 
and yeah. what's this oh god <laughs> oh god no oh no wow, wow. <laughs> okay nope 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 okay moving on <laughs> moving on <laughs> So, Queer. Queer, yeah, <laughs> by Polonium Poisoning? I believe it was, yeah. His mistake was trying to do it in my house. In my domain. My significant other, who was hidden behind the door, quickly disarmed Dennis and trapped him inside. I easily parried all of his close-range attacks with my hand, surprising him with my physical strength. I'm done with you, Dennis. You're crazy and evil and a danger to others and yourself. I'm turning you into something useful. Yeah, uh, Queer by Polonium Poisoning. We were really happy to narrate Queer because... um, yeah, Polonium Poisoning, they're a pretty big creepypasta author. Their stories often get thousands of upvotes, and they have this rule that they don't allow narrations for free for stories um, with over 700 upvotes. Queer, when we found it, it had uh, 1,800 at the time. So, um, yeah, we messaged Polonium Poisoning and we explained that we're two queer people who would like to narrate it. And they very very generously allowed us to. Um, so that was one of my narrations. What did you think of it? I think this was my personal favourite. Really? Absolutely, yeah. And also, um, it stands out as this is the first narration that we uh, released that has the queer aspects of the character centre focus in the story. Yeah. Um, whilst before, up until this point, everything's kind of background, which is totally fine. Like, I think we're pretty happy with any sort of um, LGBTQ representation, as long as it's not problematic. Um, but that was really cool. Um, it was really cool. Um, and it raises a good question. Like, what is the best form of LGBT representation? Like... If we go back to Congratulations 38, the fact the person's non-binary identity isn't mentioned in the story, is that perhaps one of the best forms of representation? I mean, it's it's still invisible if you don't mention it, but it's a story that includes LGBTQ people, but it's not a story about their queerness. Whereas with this, it is. Yeah, it's uh, it's in your face, and... Their queerness is kind of manifested in dark and monstrous ways as well. Gotta say, one thing that hit a bit close to home is the character uh, Dennis. Dennis. Yeah. We all know a Dennis, don't we? We do all know a Dennis. So it makes it all the more cathartic what happens to him at the end. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, like when I first came out, I was working for a chain of pet shops as the personal assistant to the proprietor. And the manager of the building, uh, he wasn't my boss, I was just working for the proprietor, but the manager of the building, he was a very vocal National Front supporter. Oh, damn. And 
For anyone outside of the UK, the National Front is kind of like our Ku Klux Klan. They're an, you know, an, an extremist far-right group and basically hate anyone who isn't a straight white cis guy. Uh, I had problems with them for years, then of course I came out as trans and yeah, it went about as well as you'd expect. Um, he refused to use my new name or my new pronouns, but you know, he was also telling other people in the building not to. And my boss was telling me, oh, he's just saying those things because you are the way you are. So basically blaming me. Um, like, if you weren't trans, he wouldn't be acting so shit to you. And even when I legally changed my name, he still didn't change his behavior. So I just walked out in the end. So, yeah, that was that was my Dennis. Did did you have a Dennis? Um, I just wanted to say, actually, that what you said about how they reacted to it does mirror the story quite well because they mm. go to the police and they say well maybe you should just stop being androgynous kid yeah exactly i don't have a workplace dennis um i have had some similar instances when i was at college um at times when i first started experimenting with um presenting female and yeah, I remember getting into some altercations with some less understanding students and also being taken to a meeting and reprimanded and told that I was uh, distracting all the boys. Uh... Yeah. And another teacher at one point told me I should maybe try acting less gay. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's not good. It's not good. Oh, and I love the reveal in the story. It's... Yeah, uh, the character does seem to be queer, as in an LGBTQ queer, um, but it also has this double meaning that there's this beautiful body-positive monster uh, that I absolutely love. Um, I love the bit where Dennis just finally makes his move against him and they reveal the horns on their back and their beautiful nipples swirling uh, with swirling galaxies. I adored that. Um, triangular eyes and things. Um, yeah, and this, um, again, like we sort of talked about with Skeletal Grin, this alludes to there's a much larger universe outside the story is the feel that I get. There is information alluded to that we don't know. Um, where does this person come from? Like, what's the significance of the dagger? Is um, It sounds like a traditional thing. Like, in the culture of um, what these creatures are. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it sounds like their entire family is the way that they are. And uh, there's this really cool foreshadowing that they do as well. Uh, they say that, you know, when certain features started to develop... Uh, they needed to hide them. And, of course, as trans people, we interpret that as uh, like things like breasts or facial hair. And, no, what it, what it sounds like, um, once we have the reveal and we go back and listen to it again, it sounds like the certain features are things like the horns growing from the back and, and those kind of things, um, those aspects of themselves the actual monster rather than the actual monster rather than hiding their queerness because it sounded like they were actually very open about their queerness 
I definitely got the impression that the character's queerness was completely separate from their physical nature. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're queer in the LGBTQ sense, but they're also queer in the weird, odd monster Yeah. physically as being this uh, Lovecraftian horror. <laughs> Do you have a headcanon about that? Because I kind of... I got the impression that they were an alien. I didn't imagine them as an alien. I thought of them more as a demon. I don't know. I I guess like in Skeletal Grin, there's no real explanation. In, in this, there's no real explanation for why they have a dagger that passed down the generations that can just cut people in half and they fall into two of the same people. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's, it's curious. One thing that sort of leads into is this thing that I quite appreciate in horror in general, which is not giving all of the information and letting some of your imagination and your own interpretation do the work. Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably something that's quite um, important in creepypastas, given the quite short format. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Um, well, it's, it's the same in any form of horror, especially true in horror movies. They they just show too much. The producers have too much power with CGI these days, and they want to show you all of these horrors. Um, there's a movie out last year called... Oh, what was it? Uh, oh, Underwater. <laughs> I should have known because the whole movie's underwater. Anyway, um, they just straight up show Cthulhu at the end. Yeah. And I think this is part of what made Lovecraftian horror itself specifically quite special is that it's all intangible, not understandable, it's ineffable. Yeah. Um, the way Lovecraft writes, it's usually a guy who um, just can't describe what he's seeing, uh, what he's witnessing. Like, I just saw something. It's too horrendous for you to understand. <laughs> I glimpsed a... I glimpsed it slightly once and now I've gone completely insane. Yes. <laughs> like in um, usual writing rules, they say, show, don't tell. Maybe maybe in horror we should be showing less. Yeah, I mean, it, I feel like this is reflected in games as well. Like, if you take something like Dead Space, for example, um, a lot of the tension is diffused when you see a shambling gory mess like it construct itself into a um an alien horror for the millionth time whilst i find that indie games indie horror games tends to leave a lot more to the imagination leave everything to atmosphere and tension which gets to me so many times more yeah like silent hill where they added all this volumetric fog just because the PlayStation couldn't handle the draw distance. Um, but it made the game so much scarier because you couldn't see what was in the fog. Or, uh, or Amnesia, maybe, where you're in the dark and you're hiding. I was absolutely thinking of Amnesia when I said what I last said. Oh, yeah? So, yeah, good, good shout. And I think the takeaway from that is if you want to make good horror... Do less. <laughs> Cut corners. Be lazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let the readers do the work. So the next one we have is one of your narrations, which I think might be my personal favourite out of all the narrations we've done. 
But of course, it was done by the better of the two quippy pasta narrators. <laughs> so yeah, one of your stories. Uh, how about you introduce it? So, am I in the wrong for standing up to my mum? By Captain um, Raffioli. Captain Raffioli, absolutely right. Mum, he's my boyfriend. His parents kicked him out yesterday. One of her eyes looked at me, her expression softening slightly. So, this is the boy. Her grip on his neck loosened slightly as she looked him up and down with her other eyes. Jeremy, what the fuck? He shouted, tears spilling from his eyes. My mum focused on him again, turning all five of her eyes on him. Language, young man! She unhinged her jaw and swallowed his foot, making a loud crunching noise. He turned pale as a sheet and screamed even louder. Mum! I very much enjoyed doing this one. This is a very fun one to narrate. And we actually, um, we did this in the same room. We did? Yeah. Yeah, this is the first one and only one that I've made that includes voice lines from both of us. Um, but yeah, it was very fun. It was very, um, ex- the characters were very expressive. It was, um, there, were, there was a great amount of foreshadowing in it. And yeah, it was just a lot of fun. Oh, it was so good. Uh, I was saying earlier about my kind of humour. Um, this plays into it so well. It's it's a very dark story, but it's it's just this thing that where he talks about um, the weirdness. Well, 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 we'll go into that. Just like, huh, that was weird. And it all culminates into this horror at the end. Like, uh, what was the final line? So yeah, my my mum tried to eat my boyfriend and I cleaved her to, to death. Am I in the wrong for this? And it's very much <laughs> echoing that, uh, mirroring the uh, kind of "Am I the asshole?" subreddit yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, I was totally thinking that. I I would love to see that story in "Am I the asshole?" Like, <laughs> yeah, um, my mom tried to eat my boyfriend, so I cleaved it to death. Am I the asshole? <laughs> it was interesting producing this as well. Like in terms of, I went a little heavier on the sound effects of this one. Um. Hmm trying to figure out what to add sound effects to and what not to. Um, I quite enjoyed doing the sound of um, Blaine's leg being bitten oh, off by the mother. the crunch. The crunch! <laughs> the crunch, yes, it's very crunchy. And the inspiration I took from that was um, when I was looking for the sound effect files, I was looking specifically for the sound of a tree branch snapping or crunching. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is I broke my arm quite badly when I was younger. And that was, I thought what had happened was I had landed, I'd fallen and landed on a tree branch and broken it. And then I realized it wasn't a tree branch. It was my arm. Uh, <laughs> Are you okay? Do not want. I, I broke my leg um, when I was young. I can't remember the crunch though. I was, um, I was on the monkey bars. And some twat was pushing me from behind, so I was swinging like um like a pendulum, and I ended up losing my grip, and my foot went into the ground. The ground was kind of soft, so like my foot wedged in, and then next thing I knew, I had two ankles on the same leg. Oh no! I don't remember the crack at all. It it I must have blanked it out, but the crunch in this narration, 
even though I did that, I still cringe when I hear it. There are other instances where I feel like I could have added um, sound effects because they are sounds that are described in the story. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the mother making a slurping noise, kind of, (laughs) yeah. I decided not to add that in to maintain the ambience, but whenever it's I'm listening to it for any reason, whenever it describes that, I can't help but IRL just go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's become our personal meme. (laughs) But you did um, sort of mention earlier um, how things are mentioned in the story, and then it all makes sense when you encounter the mother. Like, uh, things that come to mind are when Jeremy is describing what happens when he breaks the rules and she goes absolutely mental and screams at him everything. And but then she calms down and wipes the tears from his cheeks and the slime from his face. The slime. Oh, and they're having dinner and he's eating chicken wings and she's slurping down the leftover buns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but when he describes it it seems so normal to the character. Like you know, like one of her eyes looked at me and I'm like, one of her eyes? Yeah. Eyes aren't supposed to do that. Again, going back, going back to that Lovecraftian horror beat of not explaining it and letting your imagination do the work. Um, and of course, I think your imagination is somewhat subverted in this. Um, I think it also does raise quite a few other, well, a few other questions as well. Like, what happened to Jeremy's dad? Because it's implied that he was around. They still have his dad's old car, and that's what he uses to take Blaine to the hospital in the end. That's true. But I found myself wondering about that. Yeah. um, They mentioned there is a father, but he isn't in the story. So, yeah, I don't know what happened to him. One thing that I did notice as well is the mother, despite being a literal monster... Not homophobic in the slightest. She seems <laughs> quite happy for him to be seeing another boy. Yeah. Ah, oh, wholesome monster mom. <laughs> I'm sad she's dead. F in the chat. Maybe homophobes are the real monsters. <laughs> the real monsters were the homophobes we met along the way. <laughs> <laughs> the production and narration were really good. Like... When you were shouting, it sounded like you were shouting, but it wasn't peaking the microphone? How did you do that? It must be some kind of witchcraft. Well, at the time, I remember I did do a few takes of it because I did, the first attempt at shouting did peak the microphone quite heavily. But I don't know. What I did was I didn't project it as much and sort of directed it sort of across the room to get more of a tone of trying to be heard, I guess, rather than just going for outright loudness. And then also in the in the production, I did um, tone them down quite a bit and try and equalise them. Because I don't know about everyone else, but I quite enjoy sleeping to creepypastas. And I don't want somebody shouting in my ear, so <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, I sleep to creepypastas as well. In fact, when we started, we wanted to know, you know, do do these narrations pass the sleep test? One of the best um, compliments I've gotten about my narrations is, this made me want to go to sleep, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of paradoxical in a way. Yeah, um, 
I don't know. Anyone else sleep to Creepypasta? Any of our listeners? Let us know in the comments. I suspect it's because we're all depressed and dumb millennials. <laughs> yeah, we long for the nightmares. They're an escape from the nightmares of reality. <laughs> <laughs> and on, I think that brings us quite smoothly into the next one, mentioning oh, reality. Oh, God. <laughs> Erasure by Max Lobdell. More flickering. But it couldn't have been my vision. The rest of the room was clear. Too clear. Only Maya flickered. In and out. Faster and faster as she got closer to the door I held for her. More muttering filled the class. Except this time it was confusion. Oxley Varine beamed as she watched Maya walk away. Maya, what's happening? I whimpered as she flashed and flickered in my vision. Ah, uh, it's an incredibly powerful story. Erasure, it's a story about a friend of a trans woman who's at university with a really, um, I think problematic is too kind of a word. She, she would be a turf. Um, a turf a turf lecturer called Laura Oxley Vereen. Anyone who doesn't know what a turf is, uh, it it stands for trans exclusionary radical feminist. But they are not feminists. They are just using feminism to try and justify their own bigotry, and that's who Oxley Vereen is. Ugh. Yeah, I mean this kind of stuff is so bad in the UK at the moment. Uh, I mean before we get into that, um, what did you think? Oh, it's. It's a good story. I think it's really well written and very well narrated and produced, as of course it is narrated and produced by our best narrator. <laughs> um, <laughs> however, it, as a trans woman myself, it is very difficult to listen to. It very much does hit home quite hard. And Oxley Vereen is a tenured pr professor She's practically untouchable. Um, when they do bring the um, complaints to to whoever, you know the the assurances they give them are so lame. So like, oh well, we've brought up this complaint and we've been assured that no problematic language will be used again, which of course it is. And yeah, mm -hmm. it's all too real. Yeah. And it sounds like a bigger problem in the UK than it is in the US. Um, at least my friends in the US say that the way that trans people are represented in the media, there seems to be a different um, flavor of transphobia in the UK than there is in the USA. It seems in the USA it is, it's mostly religious people who object to trans people existing. <laughs> but in the UK, it's being led by mostly women claiming to be standing up for feminism and it's all bullshit and it's really annoying and it's universal in the media over here that a trans person's voice needs to be balanced with that of a bigot. In fact it's BBC policy that if they have any article about trans issues uh, it needs to be balanced with that of a bigot. It's BBC policy that if they have any article about trans issues um, they would have a trans person or a trans representative organization speaking. 
but they would also have to have one of the transphobic hate groups as well because they think it's balance. Um, that basically means trans people existing as a matter of opinion. And this is all just a, a difference of opinion, but it's not just a difference of opinion and it's driving us mad. And it's driving really bad legislation, both here in the US as well. Um, well, everywhere in the world. Uh, so yeah, in the UK, we might see change in the future, but it, not the way the government currently is. Um, but Ofcom, uh, the watchdog of um, like media services in the UK, has called out the BBC for this policy, saying, for example, that they wouldn't have someone from the National Front or Ku Klux Klan on to balance the views of a Black Lives Matter speaker. It's a ridiculous comparison, you know, um, that we've got to create this balance. And this is represented by Oxley Vereen in the story, a high-profile feminist. Uh, she's respected, um, including her views about trans people, and it's being taught in schools. Um, so yeah, I mean, all of this is really well written in the story. Um, yeah, Max Lobdell obviously has a very good understanding of um, of transphobia and uh, how it affects people. Um, so yeah, sorry, I've been on a bit of a rant here, um, but this is a subject close to my heart, and I've been to a lot of events with people uh, with being led by people like Oxley Vereen. I quite enjoyed the um, the alternative acronym, the feminism appropriating radical transphobe or fart. <laughs> yeah, that's more like it. I have a couple of questions about your production of that actually. Mm -hmm. um, so one thing that my ear was quite drawn to was when. Oxley Vereen is speaking. She sounds like she's talking, possibly mic'd, in a lecture hall. Yeah. And that that was really good, and I have no idea how you did that. It's really subtle. Uh, for all of Oxley Vereen's lines, I dropped the volume slightly and added just a touch of reverb to it as well, so it sounds like it's in a big open space. Um, yeah, it's pretty subtle. There's very few sound effects in it, actually. Um, there's the sound of the door slam, also, when Myra's flickering in and out, there's a a very quiet static that fades in to the background as it happens, and it slowly gets louder and louder. Then, as Maya fades away, it starts to fade out, and afterwards you notice the silence even more because that static isn't there. Um, as the white noise just fades away to nothing. Ah, such a great ending. Yeah, very, very sad though. Actually, I was thinking about that flickering sound. It gives me initial impressions of a candle, but the more, like, when I was trying to deconstruct how you might have made it, I was thinking, is this like, um, like a record player going without a record in it? Yeah, it's a, it's a record player at the end of, at the end of the record. Oh, that's really clever. Well, we're limited on the sound effects we have access to. We, we're doing all of this on no budget, so imagine what we could do if we had better equipment and access to a proper sound effects library. I mean, how do you even record the flickering of a candle flame? So I had to think of some analog for that, so I used a record. It, um, I was going to use like TV static, but wanted something a little bit more subtle, since we, um, they weren't sure what they were seeing when Maya was flickering or if they had even seen it. It's such a sad ending, though, and well done to Max Lobdell. He 
clearly has a really good understanding of um, like institutional transphobia. Yeah, just want to say as well, well done, Natasha, because I don't think I could have narrated that. Uh, well, we did fight over it originally because we didn't have any stories to narrate. Um, we narrate all stories with permission from the authors. So I went out to try and find good stories and Erasure and Queer were the first stories we found that we got permission to use. So I called dibs on them. <laughs> anyway, I think this leads us on to our last story, narrated by the best of the Queer Pasta narrators, Rosalind Saville. Yeah, um, so I was just a child when someone stole my reflection by Mandark. I think I'm pronouncing that right. I'm pr- tr- trying to pronounce it like the antagonist from Dexter's Laboratory. I picked up a paperweight off the desk in the room and hurled it at the mirror, which shattered into a thousand little pieces, cluttering the floor and blindingly reflecting light off the ceiling. Then he spoke again, but now there were thousands of them, malicious screams that emerged out of the innumerable shards on the floor, all building up to an ear-shattering crescendo. You think this will stop me? It won't. You'll never get rid of me. Never. This is who you are. Look at me. Yeah, this was another story that I feel hit close to home for trans people. Um, a bit lighter in tone than Erasure, I'd say. Yeah, I loved it. Um, I love that we finished with the well, we finished the pilot series with this episode as well because it's a happy ending, and it's uh, really uplifting. After Erasure, uh, I had a little happy cry at the end. I I I cried at it as well. I don't Aww. know if that's a little bit um, self-congratulatory, considering I I did this narration, but it's the the ending of the story itself really does hit me. Um, in fact, um, I'm not ashamed to say that at the end, when everybody is sounding quite emotional and overwhelmed and and everything i there is there is uh, quite a lot of my own real emotion in that um mm, yeah you can hear it yeah and also throughout the the distress of having this incongruence with your reflection i, f- I felt that yeah, I understand that. Um, I didn't have that experience of looking in the mirror and not seeing who you are. But it is a good metaphor for uh, for the feeling of um, that you're turning into somebody who you're not supposed to be. In fact, I drew a lot of parallels <laughs> while I was taking notes. And I have a an interesting web of connections going on uh, on my conspiracy board. So... Um, the main theme of I was just a child when someone stole my reflection is uh, this child who gets scared to look in the mirror because the reflection isn't them. Instead, there's this monstrous thing. And uh, I was listening to the Spinsters of Horror podcast. I spill on your podcast. That's what it's called. I'm not spinning on their podcast. Uh, yeah, check them out. And... They did a great episode recently on Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and 4, which is why I wanted to watch Elm um, Elm Street 3 and 4 this week. We managed to watch Elm Street 3, but we didn't get 4. And the interesting about 4 is there's a character called Alice 
who um, she doesn't like looking at her reflection. So she covers the mirror in her room with pictures of her friends and family. Um, so she can't see her reflection. But by the end of the movie, she takes down all the pictures that are covering her mirror and she looks straight at her reflection and it's become this um, this empowering thing, being able to look at herself and see how strong that she's become. And she just says, fucking A. <laughs> so, yeah, that's one connection to this story. But also, in the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street, the actor who plays Freddy was Jackie Earl Haley. Jackie Earl Haley is perhaps better known as Rorschach from, from Watchmen. <laughs> the reason why I bring this up is because I love the voice acting you did for the monster in The Monster in the Mirror, but it so reminds me of Rorschach. Give me back my face. <laughs> I've got a lot in here with you. You're locked in here with me. Exactly, yeah. And there's another connection there. Give me back my face. You know, uh, Rorschach doesn't want to see his own face either. So uh, there's this weird common theme going on for people um, For people listening. Um, I have my conspiracy board out. At the centre of it is a photo of Jackie Earl Haley. And there are strings going out in all directions. And Rosalind is giving me funny looks. <laughs> This is all connected somehow. I don't know how, but Jackie Earl Haley is at the centre of it. I have to say, doing that voice absolutely wrecked my throat. Ah, oh, it was so good. <laughs> I think the first segment I recorded for that was actually the um, the line where the mirror has been shattered, and it's described as the the voice cum- sort of culminates with itself into an ear-shattering crescendo. And um, I, the way I produced that bit was I recorded the line and then I sort of layered it on itself several times. And then each bit I just put slightly out of sync each way to sort of create the sound, create the um, effects that one voice is speaking multiple times. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, I really love the music in this one as well. Oh, yeah. Um, so I wanted to do something a little bit different to uh, I Stood Up To My Mom. This time, I didn't actually use sound effects for the most part, other than that one I generated um, for the shattered reflection. Instead, what I did was I took a... I don't know how to describe it, like a a sort of tinkling sounding piano track and it starts off it's it's basically a loop track that continues to loop but i edited it so that after each section as the story progresses and cynthia becomes more um discombobulated that it gets tone shifted down a notch and yeah i kind of felt like that I tried to mirror that with that um, <laughs> pun not intended. Um, and then I tried from that to transition it to another piano track, but this time much more upbeat. Yeah. Much more, yeah. Yeah, the tone completely changes. You can really feel it. it. 
it isn't just the music, it's the tone of the narration as well. You can hear the like the fear and the apprehension are are gone. Yeah. There's sort of a um I tried to sound not just emotional, but also a bit fragile. Because she's been through quite a lot up, up, up until this point, and it's a big moment for her. And I mean, I can put myself in those shoes, 100%. Mm. Like, okay, here we go. <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, yeah, and that's the only point in which I use proper sound effects as well. Because um, during that last section, you hear the birds singing. And again, I wanted to convey that Cynthia has been getting more and more um, desensitized and de- discombobulated with her whole reflection and everything. And I mean, it can, gender dysphoria um, presenting in that way can have quite a disassociative effect. Um, and I wanted to sort of bring that in. So you don't really hear any sound effects. And then when the monstrous reflection is gone, suddenly it's like she's more you you feel more real yeah yeah so yeah great performance and great story by mandark um i tried to find more information about mandark um they have a popular series out on reddit at the moment called um uh, i think it's i'm a sex worker and sometimes we just need a safe space only other thing i know is that they apparently like being known as the sex worker guy. (laughs) So, those are the six episodes that we had for the pilot series, and you might be wondering now, what's going to happen? Well, we are having a short break, but we'll be back in February when we launch our Kickstarter, which will really help us out. Uh, We've done the best we can with the equipment that we have. We can do so much better if we even had a good quality microphone. Uh, There's other equipment that could help us out as well, not to mention access to a big sound effects library. Basically, we need resources so we can bring you weekly episodes of Quippy Pasta because we have tons more stories to narrate. So watch this space. Follow us on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you want to help support us, drop us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app or check out our merch at Redbubble. Please give us likes and views. We tried ever so hard. (laughs) Please clap. (laughs) So, until next time, that's it from me. And that's it from me. Abandon all hope. And always, fear the editor. Quirky pasta. Books from the LGBT community.